Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the Mid-Alt that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up. If you listen on the Entail app, that's E-N-T-A-L-E, photos, links and videos of what we're talking about will pop up as you listen. Have a look. Hi everyone, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely fine. Um, But after a, a genuinely, and I often say this, but genuinely believe me, catastrophically sleepless night, possibly the full moon, possibly hormones, possibly madness, possibly all three. At about 5.30 this morning, this is exciting news, <laughs> I think I might have had my first panic attack. <laughs> um, I wonder, so here's what happened. I, having been awake, you know, since before I was born, I went downstairs, down padding, down, 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 make myself a cup of tea at about 5.30. And then I padded back up, 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 and I got into bed. And you know when you're slightly breathless from stairs? Yeah. And a bit heart-poundy. But I lay down, and the breathlessness and the heart-poundiness didn't subside. Mm. And so I thought, hmm, is this what a panic attack feels like? And then I thought, maybe I'm going to die. And then I thought, apparently, so I've heard, when you're having a panic attack, you think you're going to die. And then it went away. And so it was just a little taster. I mean, like I need to add any more to the seasonal pick and mix of sort of emotional <laughs> fuckery. But um, watch this space and let's see if it develops. Oh my God, I hope it doesn't. It's the 1st of December, the advent. Can you imagine for every every single day of the, of the month, you can have a different flavour of panic? Some new sort of symptom. Yes, exactly. It's beginning. Yes, exactly. A rash one day. <laughs> <laughs> a limp oh. the next. Um, how are you, Em? Well, Annabelle, thank you for asking. I'm absolutely fine. But I've suddenly realised for the 10th day in a row, I've put on a pair of black cords that I bought. And I feel like they are my emotional support cords now. And if I don't wear them, I feel like I will be both irrelevant and uncomfortable. Mm. Um, And I don't know whether this attachment is is healthy or not. Therapy cords. Therapy cords, exactly. And they're such therapy cords that I actually was a bit worried about how tired they were getting already from the overwear that I bought another pair to keep them as pristine and as... Oh, I think if it's something cheap, I think that's sensible. Yeah. But did you feel when you put them on that they were suddenly making sense of everything? Exactly. So I put them on and they suddenly made me love my jumpers. They made me feel like sort of Stevie Nicks slash Lauren Bacall slash Lauren Hutton kind of vibe, you know, sort of a bit Fleetwood Mac and a bit... Kind of, Is that uh, how you feel right now? <laughs> I know what's coming. You're going to tell me I don't look like any of those people. No, I'm not, because you look amazing. But what I think you're doing emotionally, you always look amazing, is chasing that first high. Uh, oh, God, well, yes. Which exactly. would fit with the pattern. Well, it certainly would. Story of my fucking life. Anyway, so I have a pair of emotional support cords. But it could be worse, because we have Daisy Buchanan with us today, a woman we trust with everything, but most particularly books. Daisy is a wonderful author and host of the hugely popular literary podcast, Your Book, interviewing authors from Irvin Welsh to Adam Kay and Jesse Burton. And she's a bit of an expert on the lowbrow and the highbrow and everything in between brow. And right now, what do we need more than little affordable portals of escape? A book, the most joyful way to think outside ourselves. Also, you should know that Daisy has written a shockingly sexy book and we could all do with a thrill and it's out in Feb, but you can pre-order it now. It's called Insatiable. Daisy, how are you? Hello, Emily and Annabelle. I'm absolutely fine, except I think I might have just bought a house and just today I found out that 
the bank has said we can have a mortgage and I've had to hide myself you on Zoom because I look like a mad professor. I I look like Winona Ryder at the end of Heathers when she's caught fire and she's covered in soot and I'm meant to get dressed. I've done what I normally do, which is start the day writing, then exercising, and I have a very cold shower, and I put on my exercise things with a view to getting dressed properly and, you know, sorting myself out, but I've just been so stunned. I'm shaking with shock, but it's as well as it be, obviously, a normal person would think, oh, great, lovely, this is very exciting, on I go with my life, because I have a very weird and painful relationship with money it's just I feel like I've been sitting outside the headmaster's office for 35 years and I've just found out I'm not getting detention and I'm not getting expelled and I have been waiting to get expelled every single day so (laughs) I've got so many feelings and they're all reflected by my vertical fringe (laughs) (laughs) so you've spent 35 years waiting to be found out yes and and something's actually confirmed that life is moving in the opposite direction It really is so bizarre that all of the things that I have feared about myself and waited for a grown-up or someone in authority to tell me that I have wrong with me, they're like, oh no, actually, you're all right. And so, and I think I'm still so much in fear and tension. A bit of the tension that's holding me up is already ebbing out and I can feel the beginnings of flu. Don't think it's COVID. Um, (laughs) And that's always a telltale sign. Um, but yeah, I'm like, well, oh, it's so funny, isn't it? The idea, the idea of stress flu, but the idea of success flu. Success flu. When you've achieved something, this is your first house, right? And your your and your your body and your psyche can't cope with it, so you're just going to have to take to your bed for a week. It's a very sort of Victorian response, isn't it? It's a bit all you know, Jane Austen, pre-Victorian, but um, Mr. Woodhouse would be um, in this position. Yes, exactly. Fanny getting a headache from cutting the roses. <laughs> I'm glad we caught you before you came down with, um, you know... Success flu. Yeah, success flu. <laughs> it's almost like yuppie flu, isn't it? Whatever that was, exactly. I don't remember what yuppie flu even was. No, but it was the flu of yuppies. Was it cocaine addiction? Cocaine come down, presumably. <laughs> oh, I thought you got it from filofaxes. <laughs> <laughs> the year we've had... Let's not go there. Let's go to books instead. I'd like you to, um, before you come down with your lurgy, morph into Dr Daisy, please. And prescribe some reading for us because, my goodness, we need it. I mean, I'm finding that throughout this whole thing, some weeks I've read, you know, assiduously and energetically and, re- and other, other weeks I just haven't. And I find I like myself less when I'm not reading. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I see the point of myself less when I'm not reading. And my inner life gets much duller because it just gets sort of self-obsessed and repetitive. It's Where should Daisy. we start? What's the ailment and what is the prescription? Well, this first one is for when you've misplaced all hope, because if there's anything I would like to give every single person for 2021, it is hope. I love this book, The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dore. And this has just come out in paperback, and it's the story of a dunny. A dunny is 14, and she lives in a remote village, and she loves school, and she's got too old for school, and her father is marrying her off to a sort of local businessman and all she wants to do is is run away and escape and she does and it gets you know better and worse and better and there are you know villains in the story but also hero heroes and it's real it's a story where kindness is the real hero that Adini is just so spirited and 
retains this gorgeous optimism against all odds. And, you know, she's not naive and she's no wimp, but her courage is just so wonderful. It glows and it really, really made me feel like, gosh, all the things that I, I worry about and that I get concerned about. I mean, the other important part of the story is it is a book about the realities that lots of girls and young women face. And it is really drawing our attention to something, you know, shocking and devastating about, you know, women who are vulnerable and women who must be protected. And I don't want to say, oh, you know, it'll really cheer you up because it could be worse. You could be <laughs> 14 and being married off to this awful man and being his, his third wife. But the relationships and the way in which they're drawn, it's a story where everyone is so, so, so lovable or sort of thrillingly and deliciously hateable, but there's much more nuance to it than that. And it's really a book about that humans when you see humans doing the worst things they can do you will see other humans doing the very very best things they can do and it's uplifting for that reason and I think that I mean it certainly made me want to look outside myself I think that's why reading is so wonderful because I know that if I'm feeling very selfish and self-absorbed and self-pitying reading is the greatest cure for that and that's where the hope comes back so that is what I've prescribed for those feelings. And it's a quiet, peaceful, easy way, isn't it, to just move away from your own reality. Just gently. You don't have to buy a ticket. You don't have to chant or jump around or go and see a therapist. You can just sit down with a book. Yeah, and actually, as we've all got sort of Lockholm syndrome and we're all so nervous about, you know, how we're going to navigate the next month and everybody has different plans... The idea of actually just being able to connect with something greater than ourselves without without putting a mask on or or having to pray exactly or even um or even just you know like hug someone yes Emily's really struggling with lack of hugs <laughs> I bring this up every week I'm so sorry I wonder if one day I'll just be I mean, deluged with hugs well I mean I just think that the, when this genuinely is all over you are going to you are to be avoided. <laughs> You're going, to have, you're going to be hit with restraining orders. You're going to be absolutely out of control then. Well, maybe I will hug someone and I, it will, I will find that it, you know, doesn't do what I think it does. You've gone off it. Or that I've gone off it. What's um, next on the list? Next on the list, I have um, an author whose book I fell in love with this year, um, former guest of this podcast and of my podcast. It's The Consequences of Love by Gavandra Hodge. Now, this is a book that is incredibly close to all of our hearts. Yeah. And uh, and yet we violently agree it's a remarkable book. Would you tell us about it? Well, Gavanda writes so beautifully about the really visceral and painful grief of the sudden and unexpected death of her sister on holiday. And I think at the time Gavandra was 14 and Candy was nine. Yes. But I think this has been a year of different kinds of grief. And some of us will have felt it in a very literal and expected way and some of us will be grieving for possibilities and lives and times we didn't even know we were going to miss so badly and what is explored here so gorgeously is there is sadness there sure but it is also about shock and anger and confusion and reveling in a series of bad decisions and also that 
anger and hurt and distress of not having the support system that you know you really should have had or that you would expect to have another big part of the book is that Gavandra is the daughter of addicts her mother an alcoholic and her father was a heroin addict and there's so much kind of glamour and squalor here and I think there are different ways of going in and I think lots of people come to this book because they are hoping for this sort of um the illumination of grief that she does so well but also there is something that's sort of not unthrilling about the way she describes Chelsea in the the 70s and 80s and you know what's really interesting is that the story or part of the story was that as well as her living with her grief and wanting to write about it missing candy in her job at Tatler seeing you know very glamorous archive pictures of these sort of society doyens you know from the 80s and saying oh they used to come and buy heroin from my dad and just pass out our flat and it's lavish and love-filled and sad and mad and beautiful I think that there's a real you know, emotional toolkit you can take from the book, even if you've never experienced anything. She makes it very real. And, you know, she writes in such a a gorgeous way and it's unexpectedly funny and so moving. And, you know, I, I mean, I think she could write anything. Yeah. She could write about, you know, donkey sanctuaries. And I'd be like, yes, please, thousand pages, sign <laughs> me up, take my money. It's the story of her own healing as well. And she really lived it as she wrote it. You yeah. know, she, she, she didn't make any of it up. It, there's, there's just sort of the, that specific resonance that truth has yes. in every sentence. Absolutely, that it's completely honest. Can't fake it, can you? No, and that she's giving you everything. as the, She's saying, this is how I felt at every point. Some of it's really ugly. Some of it is. And exactly. she's had to look at what her parents were. Yeah. And how she dealt with it and, you know, her part in it and her, yeah, it's ex- it's an extraordinary piece of writing. Yeah, so we're going to join you in wholeheartedly yeah, recommending that absolutely. one. absolutely. Next on my list is for all your party needs. Now, mm. this time of year, I'm desperate to go to a party. <laughs> Maybe you find that this time of year, usually, it, you know, if I'm lucky enough to be asked to any parties, because going out is always so sort of psychologically traumatic um just the getting dressed part i dread 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 but there is always one i look forward to there's one i know there'll be that, that my friends who i probably have a laugh with will be there i know i won't have anything to do the next morning and i will really be like that is the one and that is the one that i miss yeah we were discussing if you would just give me one one party one the party yeah yeah, yeah. No, I think, um, I mean, we were discussing just before this about whether or not we truly, this part of the, you know, it's this, well, this will come out on the 3rd of December. And, you know, we'd be gearing up for a whole month of hell, basically, in terms of scheduling and kind of exhaustion and sort of admin, Christmas admin. Entirely adrenaline fueled. Just this momentum would build up around now and just shove us miserably through to the other side, right into the perineum of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Year. I would have my Christmas rash and we would have, you know, chest infections. It would be it would be a sort of like chorus of kind of disabilities. Exhaustion, and, moaning, yeah. whining, martyrdom, which yes. we kind of embrace a bit because we're a bit weird like that. <laughs> but there would be a party. Where you could wear a dress and you could feel great and you could have a laugh like I know and there and is now no. we have to self-activate 
we have to somehow create our own momentum around Christmas, whatever it will be. And I don't know if that's going to happen my end. I mean, I'm trying, but not that hard. Anyway, so what do you what do you got for us, Daisy, in a our plight? in book form. Yeah. Well, I think this is great because it's not Christmassy per se, and it's all happening in Los Angeles, which is a city of many things, but it's not a Christmassy city. And it's packed with parties. Um, Eve's Hollywood by Eve Babbitts. And it's an essay collection. Now, if you read Daisy Jones and the Six, Eve is close to a real-life Daisy Jones, as I can think of. She grew up in Los Angeles and became a sort of famous essayist slash muse of rock stars. Slash, she did lots of um, like album photography. And she just loved... Um, getting drunk and taking drugs and having a wild old time and was sort of part of like the Laurel Canyon crew. She had a very fractious relationship with Joan Didion, I believe. And don't we all do? <laughs> <laughs> but these are lots of them. The first essay in this book is I think about her time at Hollywood High and how she's obsessed with these um, girls, like a mini sorority. And she calls them the Thunderbird girls. And they all drive Thunderbird convertibles and they wear like the tightest sweaters back to front for extra tightness. And they've all got ludicrously hot, age inappropriate boyfriends and just you know, sex sort of sizzles and steams away. And, you know, she talks about sort of going to Barney's Beanery and nicking drinks from Steve Martin. And she says something like, the thing about Steve Martin is he just never really had much of a sense of humour. <laughs> so <laughs> That's fantastic. Parties, gossip, Hollywood. And because what I miss is maybe not the party, but the possibility of the party. I want to just go and like, look for velvet dresses and gorgeous things to wear. I tell you what, though, speaking of parties... According to my theories, which you know, Emily, now would be the abs- now is the absolute perfect time to buy a party dress because there are no parties to go to. You never find the perfect dress when you have something that you need it for. Do you think if I look in the sh- well, shops be or virtually... you'll a ball gown right now for <laughs> Go on. Well, because they'll be, one, they'll be heavily discounted. Heavily discounted. <laughs> and it's so out there, there's just basically every single one of my dream party dresses just waiting for me to walk into. Yeah, because you don't need any, so you'll find one. I'm just going to stay in my emotional support cords and read about parties. In Hollywood. Thanks to Daisy. Yes, exactly. So much better. <laughs> I agree that she has got a point. <laughs> okay, what's next, lady? What I've got next is a book that I would prescribe to anyone who feels like they're on the brink of joining a cult, which is very much <laughs> my mood for at least two to three days a week, is, you know, if someone sort of had white robes and some forms, I'd be like, sure, I'll give you my sort code. <laughs> I'll give you my sort code. Do you have a cult in mind? Oh, I've always thought the... I'd probably end up with the Tom Cruise one. Hey, now I've got a mortgage. <laughs> They'll probably have me sometimes. <laughs> That's them banging anyway. on the door right now. Okay, what's the answer to cultish tendencies or longings? So, and I think some people might be sceptical about this, and I would have been a few years ago, Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Oh, I'm already oh, part of that cult. Do you know? No, you know what I think? <laughs> this is a cultish thing to say. The thing about that Glennon Doyle book is you take what you like and you leave the rest because there will be stuff in there that is transformatively good. And then other bits that just aren't for you, right? Yeah, no, I feel it was like it was, sorry to, to, to skip through your introduction of the book, completely life-changing in parts, like life-changing. What did you think, Daisy? She is very, very generous. She's funnier than you'd think as well. I think these books get a bad rep because lots of them are written by very, very earnest people. And, you know, I'm sure people are familiar, but her story is she 
was um, an addict and she suffered from eating disorders and she struggled with drugs and alcohol became I believe super super Christian marriage wrote a book about how love and marriage saved her and then her husband cheated and then she found she had to go on this book tour to promote the book about her marriage while in the throes of divorcing her husband and then she fell in love with a girl who is um she a soccer professional yes. player? Abby back. Yeah, she's a very hot professional soccer player. And, and it's one of those moments you read about where she looked up whilst promoting the book about how to save your marriage whilst divorcing her husband, saw Abby and thought, there she is. There she is. The overarching theme is um, she takes her children to a... There's like a, a wildlife park and there's a wild cheetah. Well, the cheetah's supposed to do this thing called the cheetah run and they've tamed the cheetah. The cheetah is friends with, I think it's a Labrador or a, some sort of obedient dog. And Glennon Doyle says, women are all cheetahs and we've all been trained into being good, obedient Labradors. The Mary Oliver poem, you do not have to be good. It's almost like an extended riff on that with lots of other practical and insightful details yeah. yes she talks about the knowing mm. where she yes. used to sit in the in the hall cupboard for sometimes an hour and just wait to know and then she got better at it and etc and really really that's just about learning to trust yourself yeah isn't it but i like the idea of the knowing i like things that make me feel witchy and wise yeah no me too mm. and she's really good on not abandoning yourself that as soon as you abandon yourself for someone else then everything is compromised including the other person and i think that's really important particularly for like codependents like me who spend a huge amount of time kind of maneuvering to try and make someone else happy but of course that rarely satisfies the other person and i'm unsatisfied so instead of you know, in my in my illogical thinking, I'm thinking if I, one of us is happy, we're fine. Go and sit in the whole cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Don't come back till you know. No, exactly. I do know. No, I do. And I do try and practice Glennon's knowing. I mean, I, the, my problem is I never know. <laughs> but I have tried it. The thing as well that I think she's very good on is to trust your knowing. It's hard and painful. And to put your happiness as any kind of priority that makes you so vulnerable it's so much safer to be a martyr and to say i'm not going to take responsibility for this i'm going to give it all over to someone else and you know they can own me and own my decisions and i just don't have to think about it and i just i'm unhappy but at least it's a known unhappiness and you're opening yourself to so much good and bad and terrifying when you do what she says but she she makes you want to do it yeah. she wants makes you wants to sort of embrace the terror Yes, it's, yes. A, it's, a, it's being it, happy. It's, uh, I don't want this to put anyone off it, but it is, you know, it is largely a, a motivational book. Yeah, yeah, it's a call to arms. It's like get out there, change your life, work with what you want, and if if that causes chaos, then so be it. Yes, but without wanting to put anybody off because that makes it that sound so energetic, yeah. you can do that sitting in the hall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, yes. that's the thing, isn't it? You it's, don't have to, you know, go and you know beat your chest in the Amazon yeah. jungle. It's unusual for that kind of bit because I think the woo tempers the motivational. It's not one of those, get up at four in the morning and do 20 star jumps. 11 things and, successful know, people do. Yes, exactly. Or yes. there's a new thing going around called the power hour. So you get up an hour earlier to do something, an activity and it'll like, whatever. How could I have got up an hour earlier this morning? <laughs> <laughs> How would that have been? I would have had to turn myself physically inside out. 
<laughs> but that that was your activity. Get up and have a pack. <laughs> the power you, did, hour. you went downstairs. You made yourself exactly made yourself a cup of coffee. You walked up the stairs. You had a panic attack. That is what you did. Congratulations. Well Look done. At me now. I'm hashtag winning. <laughs> Bravo. Okay. Good. Phew. Solve that. Right, Daisy. On we go, Daisy. This is a book for when you're feeling especially lonely. This is the best book I read this year. It really took me by surprise. And it's so strangely quiet. And it's going to be annoying because I'm going to have a really hard time describing what it is and why I loved it. But I wept when I closed it because I just couldn't bear not being with these people. It's Happy All the Time by the American writer Laurie Colwyn. And it's this really simple story. We're in... Manhattan, and I believe it's 1970-ish. And it starts with two, well, they're third cousins, but they're like brothers or best friends. And they are privileged, but not obnoxiously so, but just enough so that you're soothed and you're not worried about, you know, practical things, making them unhappy or ruining everything and getting in their way. And they want to fall in love. And they fall in love with two very, very different, but very lovely women and one is quite aesthetically minded and self-contained and really knows herself and occasionally in that relationship there are wobbly moments but it's because she is so good at sinking down into her knowing as Glendale would say that it can be temporarily destabilizing but she always comes back and the other Misty my favorite is as insecure and ridden with confusion and anxiety as I am and most of the book is her thinking this is all going too well. When's it all going to go wrong? But it's genuinely, genuinely charming. I think when we say charming, sometimes we think something's glib, but it's sort of profoundly charming. It will stay with me forever and I can't wait until enough time has elapsed so I can reread it again. That sounds like a very good present as that well. That does sound it? like a really good present. Next, I have a book that's secure for anyone who's forgotten to get dressed. <laughs> I mean, this is two in one because this is a book that I've just been reminded of that I adored. That again is difficult but not impossible to get hold of. You can find it. So I've paired it with a second easier one. This fabulous Nobodies by Lee Tulloch, set in the 1980s. It is about a woman who is, I think she might be in her 20s, but barely. And she's on a mission to turn her tiny, 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 barely inhabitable Manhattan apartment into a nightclub. And she's working on the door and she's making her own clothes. And she's got a real like Liza and Cabaret sort of energy. It's really irreverent. And it's sort of where fashion meets punk and you're just living for the next big night. And it's that kind of big... As you imagine, Studio 54, but not grand celebi Studio 54, tra I'm Nile Rogers and I've come with a suitcase of cocaine, but in that like, oh my God, this is my whole life, am I going to get into the club? And it's got that youthful buzz. And Emily, I don't want you to leave your emotional support course. I really want a pair myself, but if any book is going to get you out of them, it might be this. But in case that is hard to find, I have also added to the list Another self-help book, um, Simon Dunan's How to Be Yourself. Any Simon Dunan will do. I love his book, Glamorous Eccentrics, and that's something I read often. And he, again, has that real sort of maybe pre-millennial, possibly a little bit pre-Sex and City, like really like New York, like you can be everything and everyone. Simon Dunan, who's famous for many things, including 
Not relevant, but interesting. He's married to Jonathan Adler, who makes the lovely expensive cushions and things like that. And he was creative director of Barney yeah, for many was, years. Yes. Did, did the windows. Yeah, originally. the windows. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, that's what you, you'd head straight there, wouldn't you, in sort of, you know, 90s and noughties Manhattan? Also, there's something about the sort of sheer fabulousness of Simon Doonan that makes mm. every book feel like a coffee table book. <laughs> yes. You know, you feel like you're getting a great big sort of weighty, tash and showy-offy thing. Because, you know, that's just the atmosphere around this little portable, palatable, you know, dollop of something that's gorgeous. the spirit of it. Yeah. And a book where you could really turn to any page and be entertained and be absorbed. And the sort of thing that you might, you know, you might find it in someone's loo and just, you know, have a quick glance. And then you'd be there hours later sort of holding it up to your face with delight. So my next choice is a writer that I've just discovered this year. It's a love story. It's very romantic. But it's romance for the sceptics. If you're feeling a bit charged and a bit grumpy and unloving and unlovable, I think this will thaw you. This is Good Riddance by Eleanor Lippmann. And it's a very waspy, knowing rom-com. I would say, plot-wise, it is undemanding, but the characters are so fun and so funny that it's a pleasure to be in that universe. I'm trying to think of those very charming sort of like Y2K-E, Jennifer Aniston rom-coms that always delivered a little bit more than you were expecting them to because she's so great. And I think that um, Elna Lippmann might be the Jennifer Aniston of novelists where you think it's going to be smooth and gorgeous and easy and then the comic skill is, you know, secret but it really yields itself and it really bubbles away. And she's written loads of books, so she's great fun. So it is that escapism for a world you recognise. I could really do with discovering an author and then doing a deep dive. I'm finding that in the last couple of years, I've read a lot of first novels. Yes, yes, true. Do you remember when we discovered the Cazalets and went nuts yes. and just read every single one, like back to back, and it was just so I blissful. think I might have sent you the Cazalet Chronicles, or did I recommend them to you, Daisy? You did. Last time we talked about books, <laughs> you mentioned them, and I bought them all, and I read them at the start of lockdown. And it's funny because people kept mentioning, it's like, how have you not read these books? You will love these books. And it, it did start to feel a little bit like homework, like, I know I love these books. Why haven't I read them? I hate myself for not reading them. Ah, And then I was completely, completely addicted. And I tried to pace myself and I tried to read a non-Cazalet's book in between and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I love the idea of this. Maybe, maybe it will be Eleanor Littman of reading one and thinking, I want more of this voice and it already being there. Well, this is a bit of a cheat because my next book, I've said it's for when all you need is love. And this is a writer that... And this is a debut novel, but I've just heard their next novel is coming in May. But it's it's all kinds of love. Well, it's not really... There's a little bit of romance, but it's more about family love and those very traditional and trustable dynamics. Where it's, To say it's cosy is to do it a disservice, but it is cosy. <laughs> And this is a book that really, really took me by surprise. And actually, I was recommended the book. My friend said, oh, I think your husband will love this. And it was an independent publisher. And I bought it for him and gave it to him. And he was, you know, looked at the cover and was like, oh, great. Thanks for this. And then I think read it because it looked 
quite short or he'd run out of things or felt a bit guilty. And then again, did the, you know, the gripping of the wrist. But, oh, it's so good. And the book is Leonard and Hungry Pool by an Irish writer called Roman Hessian. I think that's how you say his name. Leonard and Hungry Pool are best, best friends. And you don't really know how they became friends. You have a vague idea. They probably went to school together. It begins with... Um, Leonard's been living on his own with his mum, who has just died at the start of the book. And Leonard has sort of always been an unofficial member of Hungry Pool's family, and he also lived with his, with his parents. Um, Hungry Pool's big sister is getting married. There's a sort of a subplot involved in, like, coming up with a competition slogan for, I think it's the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> or It's very sort of, you know, deeply rooted in suburbia, and it's... The vibe is a little bit like something like The Office or The American Office, but with less sarcasm and much more warmth and genuine affection. And it is actually, it is a love story. I forgot there is a romance at its heart that unfolds really, really slowly. It's a coming of age story, but it's for maybe when you're in your 30s or 40s or beyond, and you're still not entirely sure that you've come of age. Yeah, quite, exactly. I mean, when are you ever sure? I know, as discussed at the beginning, you with your mortgage, and you suddenly think, God, maybe it means I'm a grown-up as well. Well, don't you still get that when you when you lock the back door and you think, I can't believe I'm being trusted to do this at the house with my name on a set of papers somewhere? Yeah. Or, oh, my God. Yeah. And also, when someone asks you a question, you look around for someone to answer the question. Yeah, where's like, the grown-up? Where's the grown-up? And then you go, fuck, it's me. Yeah, by about 15 years. <laughs> What a nightmare. Oh, this coming age of age thing goes on for a long time. I think when we were looking at houses to buy, the conversations we were having were along the lines of, well, we think we want to buy this house, but where is the person who's going to tell us whether or not that's a good idea, whether or not that's okay? Yes. I know, I totally agree. It's really, it's so funny. I know, and I feel like in lockdown, when, you know, particularly... I feel like I've carried so much through this year and uh and I, I yeah it's no wonder I feel like I've aged like you know 10 years since March. I think we all do feel that um when I bought my first house I was um single with a uh separating cesarean scar and a newborn baby strapped to my chest <laughs> and, uh, so and, and I walked in and I very strongly had that feeling Daisy of I think maybe I could live here, but who's going to tell me? Yeah. Because somebody needs to tell me. And then in that very split second, I had to say to the estate agent, okay, you're on, you know, because, yeah. you, you know, and, and, then, and then it was, and then it was just, and then it was done. Yeah. And then, you know, here we are. It's a very strange moment buying your first house. But I suppose that chimes with the only thing I really know about adulthood is that it's incredibly rare that any big decision is obviously right or obviously wrong. It's just what you do in the moment and usually you didn't have to do it and you could have done something else and that something else and that theoretical landscape it's not better or worse it's just different and also along with it I agree and also along with it not being obviously right or obviously wrong it's neither a hundred percent right nor a hundred percent wrong yeah because you know life doesn't work like that so yes. you're never going to get a reward. You no. won't. You won't get a trophy for buying your house. Yes, exactly. You're not graded. Although you, although I know you feel that you are because yeah. you've, you've done something that you thought you were too um, wrong to be able to pull off. Yeah, no, it's interesting exactly because you think like, oh my god, I've filled this home insurance policy in a kind of B minus type way. No one ever <laughs> says that. So it's before like... the success flu descends, you should tell us about your next book. My next book is called Insatiable. 
a love story for greedy girls. It stars Violet. Violet's in her mid-twenties and she is really on the ropes. She's got to that point that I remember very well when it suddenly dawns on you that things, you hoped things would get incrementally better, but they are just getting worse and worse and worse and the same. And oh that's God, I wouldn't go back to my late twenties. No, awful. It was just wildernessy, and but with the with the gloss taken off. Yeah, oh, it was awful. She has ditched the world's dullest and most awful fiance. Mark it's got a sort of sub made in Chelsea vibe going on. The very boring Mark. He loves to be aboard the banter bus. Um, she's working for an art startup that four years ago sounded really sexy and thrilling and she's passionate about art. And now it's clear that she's only there to make the tea for less than minimum wage. And the harder she works, the more she gets stuck and she's never going to get promoted. At a party, she meets the glamorous, fascinating glossy grown-up Lottie who is also running an art startup that sounds much better than the one that Violet works for and to Violet's shock and thrill Lottie seems very very interested in her as a possible employee but also as a little bit more and there's a slow seduction and a series of dinners and meetings and I have to say sorry to interrupt I have read, devoured, uh, mounted and enjoyed this book. And the seduction is not that fucking slow. I was about to say, what is this? What is this <laughs> slow stuff? Kick, the sex kicks off thrillingly quickly. At the first lunch, got it, Lottie's got her hand up Violet's skirt. All manner of things take place. I mean... And I it's, it's author is of the very pervy Daisy Buchanan. <laughs> <laughs> and people are going to be wondering what you do at home. Do you know what? It was rather a thrill. My God, we need a thrill. And it was thrill to read a book about a young woman going about her life in quite glamorous circumstances that really has some edge because you really did go there with the sex. Well, I love a sexy book. And, you know, I love Lace. I love Jilly Cooper, like, quite honestly. I think Jilly Cooper, I, you know, love her to the end of everything. But, you know, relatively tame sex-wise. And when you get into sort of, you know, the deep dives into Jackie Collins. And I know, I don't want to talk about the famous sexy book that everyone's aware of. Because I believe that was such a phenomenon. Because I think women really want sex. And I don't think that women are served as well for it as they could be. And I started writing this purely thinking, I want to do it as an experiment. I've not been to any orgies, but I like reading about sex. I like the idea of writing about sex. I think if I have any sort of kink, that's probably it, the sexy book. It's sort of the best and healthiest way to worry, to wonder about someone else's sex life. It's just look through that porthole into a fictional character's sex life and see what they do. And there's nothing unhealthy about that. And it, it, it is a thrill. I mean, I read Lace when I was 11 and I turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> but your book, Daisy, Insatiable, has got that Jenny Cooper quality of playfulness yes. around the sex and also of the self-doubt we all feel about, oh, my God, are my knickers right? Does, you know, do, does my flesh look... Yeah. And that's all woven into this, you know, quite advanced uh, sex writing. <laughs> yeah. Also, the other thing is that you don't use stupid words to describe bits. I think it's really important. You don't, oh, you do, you don't sit there and worry about mounds, her mound or whatever. Oh, like, God. do you know what I mean? It's like, for fuck's sake, yes, call well, it. I remember, I remember his tumescent organ. Yes, exactly. Oh. You know, there's no kind of, there's it's no... His sex or her sex yes. is the one I hate the most. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Between organ, mound and his or her sex. Exactly. It's so off-putting. We've Whereas... all been thoroughly, thoroughly turned off. Yeah, but... Uh... I did, but it was so... I had 
have that as a sort of like this character just wouldn't say boobs but i don't want to say tits twice in the same paragraph it was a minefield yes no exactly how do you repeat particularly when you're writing about multiple multiple and there are <laughs> multiple m- multiple <laughs> everything <laughs> i know there are certain words that you can't for example for example no grown-up english man should say the word panties <laughs> Oh, my God, yeah. I know, I'm sorry. There are certain places that people just shouldn't go. So she's on an adventure, Violet. A sexual adventure, a voyage of self-knowledge, a professional adventure. And it all seems to be written with great joy. Did you love writing it? I did. And when I got over the self-consciousness of it, I really had to sort of find a headspace that was just very, very free. And all I... Because I love novels so much probably the the love of my life and all I wanted to do was write one are you worried that people are going to think this is what you do at home I am a little I did have an answer prepared which is like I don't see you asking Ian McEwen if he was in the second world war (laughs) 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 but I think I just have to own the fact that this is something I had a great deal of fun imagining my example is always, and I think this is the writer Sarah Manning, who I love, who talks about, you know, young girls reading pony books. And like, if you, if you were genuinely horsey and spent time like with horses, you didn't want to read the books, you were living the life. And this is for, you know, the, the people who want to imagine being in that world. And, you know, deliberate, because I did want to have a bit of realism, but a bit of romance. And yeah, I imagine the Whenever, you know, because I love watching, you know, anything about orgies and there's sort of the very famous like Louis Theroux one, you know, it's often the subject of a grubby Channel 5 documentary. But it is either with people that you just, you know, you think of the idea of having sex with them or them having sex with everyone and you just want to put another like five jumpers on and, you know, lock your door and, (laughs) you know, go to bed your head under the pillow. (laughs) Or people are saying, well, you know, it's all very fair and here's our Excel spreadsheet and, you know, I will spend this much time on their nipple and this much time on my wife's nipple and that's not sexy either. No, and dogging (laughs) isn't sexy. I mean, you know. Well... (laughs) Don't knock it till you've tried it. <laughs> insatiable, we're insatiable for you. Uh, oh, like I like terrible that. Show host. Almost made me forget my panic attack. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm not even just stroking my emotional support cords right now. Yeah, I know. I feel renewed. It's so wonderful to have a list of books. It's much better than a box of chocolates, isn't it? Yeah, it's a real present. Thank you so much. What oh, a gift. Thank you. What a gift. Thank you, Daisy. And we'll see you next time we need you, which will be sooner than you I will be back thank you so much for having me I had such a lovely time as always thanks Daisy bye you've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Middle our book I'm Absolutely Fine is out now if you like what you hear please rate review and subscribe and we'll just leave you with this thought too much of a good thing can be wonderful Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel-Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.